Welcome, welcome everybody. This is Jeb Jarrell with Two Glasses of Bourbon. It's been a while. Life happens fast and uh, just been busy. So today I am excited to be joined by Eric Wisman, the Executive Director of the Kentucky Trucks for Historic Preservation. And I'll be honest, this is a pretty uh, personal one for me because uh, I am the Vice Chair of the Kentucky Trust and we do some pretty cool work. And today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some historic tax credits. So if you're interested in renovating an old house and you want to know about how do you pay for that, we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about some of the different uh, projects that we have going on. So we have some really cool projects like a 1780s cabin in Athens that we'll talk about too that Daniel Boone might have said at some point. And then, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's basically what we're going to cover today. Before I kick it over to Eric, I'll go ahead and give you his background. Eric has been in historic preservation for probably 15 years now, quite a, quite a while. He is, uh, like I said, now the Kentucky uh, the executive director. He's worked for Preservation Kentucky. He studied at the preservation program at UK. Uh, they've got a great historic preservation program there. And just an all-around good dude. So with that, Eric, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Oh, you had to get that in there. So, <laughs> background, Eric's been bugging me about this for uh, about a year and a half now, a year since since I started uh, the podcast. Um, and then just for side note, my, my co-host, Bill, is also the chairman of the Kentucky Trust. So, we kind of have a whole little crew that stays involved with the, with the organization. But, Eric, kind of tell me about yourself. Give me your, I, I gave the highlights, but give me your background. You already said it all. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um... Kentucky native here, born and raised, and um, like you said, went to uh, school for historic preservation, University of Kentucky, undergraduate at University of Kentucky as well, and have always been interested in historic places, not just history, but the, the places on the landscape that, that make up our towns that, that we all um, call home, right? The, um, it, the, uh, the buildings and the people that make up our communities. I would say, and um, and it takes active preservation to keep those landmarks around that that we all um, that give us a sense of place for our home. So, so uh, you're right. About 15 years ago, I I decided that was my passion that I wanted to uh, to go into. Um, no one else was going to try to save places that I was passionate about. Then the the job was me, right? So I'd say if you. Uh, if you feel strongly about something, maybe you're called to be the one to do it. So, so I've been doing that ever since. Quote Bible words: "Here I am, send me." I like that. So, what you know, you mentioned that uh, you enjoyed saving places that are important to you. When you look at your career, what is the coolest place or most uh, most significant place to you that you've been able to save? I don't know, Jeff. There's a, there's a lot of things that unfortunately we haven't been able to save and. And a lot of them are really soul destroying when you you lose them, um, particularly ones that we fought so hard to, to save and then weren't successful in the end. Um, but there have been some some neat ones. I mean, you know, you hear the stories about uh, standing in front of a bulldozer. I've done it. <laughs> um, we have had places that were going to be torn down in the morning that I've been able to to make phone calls and step in front of we've had losses um you know fires and losses of life and things that have been incredibly difficult to deal with families 
uh, on those properties that we've been able to step in and, and try to save those. There have been um, just in numerous projects, and, and a lot of them are, are really, you know, this is not a, um, a field that you go into and, and expect that something's done in six months. And most things that we, we deal with are multi-year projects that might have three, two, three, four, five years to lead up to. Um, and then once we we take a part in, in the project, essentially they're going to go on forever. We, we're sort of stuck being and engaging with that property in perpetuity. Um, just this week I'm working on um, helping to pass the, the stewardship of our very first project here in Frankfort, Kentucky, um, onto the next steward, right? That uh, we did in 1998, I believe, 99, 99 was that one, with the anniversary of 20 plus years on that property, and it's now moving on to the next one. So, so there's been a lot of things. Uh, I can't point to any one thing specifically, but there have been some neat ones. And, and of course, uh, my predecessor had some really incredible projects. Uh, Probably the one that I, I think is the most, the neatest project was um, one in Ruddles Mill, Kentucky, um, in Scott County, that was a house that a, a local church congregation wanted to remove from the property they owned. Uh, we ended up moving the, the house across the street and keeping the same property on the same farm that we were on. Um, turns out to be one of the earliest log buildings in Kentucky. And the, um, the barn, which was also log, had been raised by all the traditional barn raising by all the, the neighbors in this area. And they all scribed the name into a log. Unfortunately, the log rotted away and it powdered when they tried to move the building. But it had Daniel Boone's signature in it and, and a lot of other noteworthy folks in the area. So that, that project really is that is that is absolutely an amazing project. And uh, what was the family that? What was that family that had the, uh, the cabin again? I can't remember that was, one. I thought there was a name on that. It, it just the Ruddles Mill cabin then. There is, but I, I honestly can't remember uh, at the moment what the. No, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that that ties into one of our current projects. It was the Tribute family. The Tribute. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of because we yeah. we're also working on the Tribute Vault at the Franklin. Yeah, Valley. serendipitous. It sort of shows how. Um, how projects are circular and how everything's interconnected and all of history in Kentucky, even through the current day of, of our population. Um, so that, that project, um, likely that house was, was built by a gentleman and then acquired later by Mr. Drew, T-R-A-B-U-E, who was a Revolutionary War soldier, uh, land grant in Kentucky and came to Kentucky. Um, unbeknownst to me, a uh, sort of a side passion project that the trust has taken up is uh, reconstructing a cemetery vault at the Franklin Cemetery right below Daniel Boone's grave and his wife Rebecca that had collapsed about 50, 60 years ago that, uh, that fell over. Um, that we're now working to reconstruct. It was a marble facade that's uh, pretty notable. But but funny enough, after I got into the, the project a little bit, um, we found out that two of the daughters that are buried on the site grew up at the cabin. Um, a full circle, and that was not known at the time that I took it on, but uh, kind of came full round, and now the family's involved in helping us um, facilitate that project and donating to making that project happen. So. That's really cool. I like that. So let's talk. You know, you mentioned that the Kentucky Trust gets involved. That we 
stay involved forever. So let's talk about what the Kentucky Trust does. Can you kind of give me the yeah. overview of that? Yeah, uh, you know, the Kentucky Trust for Historic Preservation, we are a, a 501c3 nonprofit membership-based uh, supported organization. Um, we were started in 1997 by our founder, Bob Palsgrove, who had formerly worked at the Kentucky Heritage Council. And upon his retirement, he realized that there needed to be a nonprofit advocacy and educational group uh, in Kentucky that would take on projects and be a, a conduit and facilitator to save places um, where governmental entities and, and others couldn't maneuver as easily as a, a dedicated nonprofit could. So um, at the time, there was only um, a lobbying agency, um, Commonwealth Preservation Advocates. Uh, we have a couple of different entities then, and then we had some regional entities like the Bluegrass Trust. Trust and some of the others. So, um, we've changed a little over the years, but um, primarily we are the only statewide brick and mortar preservation entity in Kentucky. Um, that's that's a great way to put it. I appreciate that. Uh, if you're listening and you're familiar with the preservation <laughs> landscape, there's another notable name, and, and where we kind of differ from them because we were founded around the same time with the same organization. Eric can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but they do a lot of advocacy. They do great work. But where we differ is that we do boots on the ground preservation. Right. That is our main goal is we're, a, we're an easement holder that we get involved in these projects. And where we can, you know, we can provide education. We can provide uh, expertise. Eric is a great uh, expert on the tax credits that we're going to talk more about here in a little while. But we can help out with that. And then we can also hold an easement on those properties Make sure that they stay around and that they're protected and conserved in perpetuity. That's something you don't see from most organizations. Right, right. And that's that's really what sets us aside. Um, there's not a project that passes through our hands, um, if one, that we don't hold a covenant on in perpetuity. Um, we accept donations and easements from properties of people that want to protect their, their homes from improper development or, or demolition. We want to ensure the the longevity of, of the places, and we're working on several of those right now. Um, we also do educational work, and that has been sort of the uh, the basis of our, our efforts in the beginning. Um, I really like doing a lot of that, so um, we just held a cemetery preservation workshop last week um, that was one of our most successful to date. We've had um, you know one or two of those every year since I, I began. But, uh, it's a really easy introduction introduction to historic preservation principles, um, sort of instant gratification for those people that participate in those to fix something that's been broken. You, know, uh, you have uh, cemeteries are really outdoor libraries now and, and um, are, are a part of our landscape that tell the history of ours. Um, they're not just a, a burial ground. And having those workshops is a, a great way to teach conservation of original materials and, um, and documentation and preserving a place in perpetuity that, that they sort of understand is, is beyond them, right? We don't always get that concept for historic places, buildings particularly, that we're saving something for much longer than ourselves. Um, like we said, historic places um, gives a sense of place um, in our communities and so we do a lot of that. We're also um, 
facilitating projects and assisting property owners all the time, like you, you said, with information um, and working on becoming very much the clearinghouse for historic properties in Kentucky across the state to, uh, to help folks find uh, those places and help them renovate and taking on a more active role in the last few years to physically do, do renovations ourselves, um, which we've been doing since the very beginning, um, as well as being a conduit to, to sell this old property to find the next steward for uh, very much tailor uh, people that we're targeting to take on the next generation of these places. So we kind of talked about covenants and easements, and I'll be honest, there are like three different things from what you just said that I want to pull up. Yeah. But the first thing I want to ask about is uh, talking about covenants and easements and how we always do bring take a, uh, an easement out on our property or take a covenant out. There are probably some people out there who might have a house that would fit into what we like to help preserve, but they might be thinking, you know, I want to make sure that it's preserved, but I also want to make sure that I can sell the place. So is the covenant too restrictive? Does it really restrict what can happen in the future? Or is it something we can tailor to what their needs are? Well, um, yeah, yeah, good question, actually. And this is a, a bit in-depth, but um, a covenant and, a, and an easement are essentially the same thing in what they accomplish. Um, a property that passes through our ownership, we place a covenant on to protect the perpetuity at the time that we sell the property and deed it over. Um, that gives us a right to... Um, just on a maintenance standard for the property um, to protect historic features or significant elements that might be of note um, to give guidance to property owners and to keep track of, of when they change hands. Um, they have to report to us and pay a, a small fee. Um, but also to uh, generally just guide and, and be a long-term resource our name is forever attached to each of those places then and be in your deed a way to contact us and, and what we can do. So those can take a, a broad range, just like an easement can. Uh, an easement is more of something that's donated to us and there is a taxable benefit to doing so. Um, those can be as restrictive or as least restrictive as we want them to be. Um, depends upon the owner, and that's usually a negotiated process with the property owner that wants to donate that easement about how restrictive they want to be. Um, easements can be simply, this place can never be demolished. Or it's fairly simple. Yeah. Or it can go as far as dictating future paint use color. Or... It can be what future use, what uh, glass has to be maintained. All of the, you know, for very, very original and important properties. Um, we'll use an example is Mount Vernon, right? Everyone sort of knows Mount Vernon, George Washington's estate was the first real preservation in the nation. Um, for something that is a high caliber, high degree of preservation, uh, Liberty Hall in Frankfurt, something of that effect, you really want to go to the nth degree. And it may not be that the property is ever going to change their hands. It may be stuck in a a family estate in perpetuity, uh, maybe in a trust of its own for, for the rest of its future. Um, we can negotiate with all those kinds of things and 
and there is a, of course, a taxable benefit of the the development potential of that property. Um, which can be very high in some of some areas, like some of the ones in Louisville we've talked about. Um, that the owner can take tax advantage of donating that easement to them. So, so those are um, you know, sort of the concepts. But uh, in terms of uh, passing those properties on, you know, usually folks that are looking to be the steward of these properties are buying them for an intent and purpose to preserve them. Um, the converse is true, which we've had instances, and I, I just was talking with someone the other day about a property that uh, someone would like to buy, but they want to demolish, and it has an easement on it. They're obviously not the right person for their property and not who was intended by the last owner to buy, to buy that property. So. So, you know, you, you're looking for the right steward, the right person to take on and maintain a property. Um, so they, the covenants or the easements can get in the way of a sale, um, but it's intended to. I, I, I like that you use that as a, as a discriminator because I talk with clients all the time in my professional capacity that trusts are meant to be able to control your assets from beyond the grave. And in a very similar way, an easement can work the same way. Right. And that's very cool because I know for so many people that have put time and effort and money and, like I said, back to time, they put their, their heart and soul into rebuilding a place that they want to make sure that it is kept up. They want to make sure that it's not chopped up into apartments, that it's not turned turned into whatever. And uh, it's a way that they can do that. And yeah. then you mentioned the uh, tax benefit. So the way that's usually calculated is you look at what the uh, what it could be, and once you put that easement on it, it's going to give you a, a deduction based on the value of that easement. So if you think that your your property is worth you know five hundred thousand because you could turn it into an apartment complex, and then after you put that easement on it, it's only worth three hundred thousand, you get a two hundred thousand dollar tax deduction. And so there's a lot there that you can use to make it a financially viable option as well. Yeah, it allows you some people to reinvest into the property, right? And if you're a if you're a historic site, a, a house um, or, or something else even, it doesn't always have to be a building. It could be a farm or a, a, some landscape. Um, if you wanted to put an easement, if you're a sitting duck for development, if you will, um, so this is a way to protect your, your place from inappropriate development, whether that be encroaching um, sprawl. Um, there's some great historic home sites in Louisville that are just surrounded by encroaching development um, that obviously have a, a high level of donatable value. Um, and then there's some that are in, in ways of highways or future plans. And, and these things kind of allow you to, to dictate not just your, your property, but the landscape around you often as well. So um, and like I said, it doesn't always have to be a, a historic house, but um, a historic garden, a historic landscape. I know of uh, one entity that um, is interested in protecting the garden as much as the house that they put their, their life and soul and their life's work into. So those things are acceptable to us too. And um, we typically don't do farmland per se. That's my next question. Um, there is a uh, another entity that we've worked with to sort of partner to be um, the entity that holds the easements on the, the historic assets, the house or whatever it may be, um, that we expert, have expertise in and um, them for 
farmland preservation, but but um, we can do that as well. So. That's pretty helpful. So let's talk while we're kind of talking about taxes. Let's talk about tax credits because that's, that's one of the questions that I get asked the most. Well, just financing in general. Financing in general. Let's let's start with that. Just kind of give the high level overview. How does that work? No, there's a there's a sort of a misnomer out there that um, the preservation costs too much, um, that places are too far gone, and and it's almost never the truth. Beyond, um, I'm the eternal optimist as the the director of this organization. I I need to be, um, but but truthfully, on a national level, the uh, the studies that have been done, Donovan Ripkema, Bobby App was just there in Frankfurt talking about this exact concept, um, those stories just aren't the truth. You have an existing building that has already spent the energy to be constructed, um, built out of materials that you can't replicate today. What you have to put into them is mostly labor and less more less so materials. Um, but of course, you can do a renovation that is, I, I often call them the, the car, you know, you can have the... Uh, the Toyota, or you can have the Rolls Royce. It depends on what you want to spend. Of course, you can spend anything in the world. Um, but for a general renovation that is is an attempt to restore um, or, or renovate um, restoration, none of us are living in restoration without plumbing and electricity. Um, so generally, we're talking renovations. There is, um, you know, sort of a 80-20 or a 60-40 split of cost of labor and cost of materials and for almost every instance across the nation that's been reported in some of these studies it costs less than new construction almost every time so what i'm so, hearing is that you're saying it is more green more environmentally sustainable for the original green movement yeah i, I like that yeah so you get both the the <clears throat> culture of living in a historic home you're getting the the character that's there and saving the environment yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's multifaceted, right? You're, and th and that is what historic buildings are. Every building on Earth takes maintenance, um, and it is. Let me like, let me take a step back. It, the difference between history and historic preservation is that history is fixed for the most part. Um, we're dealing in facts and figures that were the past. Historic preservation is actively taking an effort to save an object of antiquity for the future by its very definition. And that sort of goes into our, our uh, credo, which is um, saving our heritage for our future. Right? Which makes sense because you think about, okay, Eric and I were looking at a house uh, maybe a month ago, a couple weeks ago, and it's a really early house in Louisville. It was built in 1814, 1812, somewhere thereabouts, second, second, uh, second decade of the 19th century. But when you look at it, you can tell that there are different periods in the house, that the early part was federal, then there was a Victorian edition, and there was probably an early 1900s edition as well. But the point being that you can't, you kinda, you're kind of, you not going to pick just a point in time and say, okay, we want to make this house just like it was in 1840, because it's hard to pick that. Whereas with historical preservation, what I think I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're updating it to a modern standard that you're, it's comfortable to live in and that you're keeping the, the historical integrity of the home, that you want to make sure that the, the major pieces, whether that's the layout, whether that's architectural, um, 
whatever that is. You want to keep those in point in place, but you also want to make sure that it's functional. You're kind of getting the best of both worlds there. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's um, there's a modern theory of our disposable society that um, that you can create a home that's maintenance free. Um, that's just simply a lie. Um, nothing that is built is ever maintenance free, and the only, the closest we're now getting are the cookie cutter vinyl boxes that are meant for 20 years, even though you have a 30 year mortgage, um, that then have to be completely rehabbed by whoever the next owner is, right? Um, historic places hold up much better, of course, and, and do require that perpetual investment, um, just by the very nature what we're talking about in terms of finances are how to make those investments, um, which can be significant at times. Of course, roofs have to be changed and windows have to be repaired, not replaced. Um, Let's not get Eric talking about vinyl <laughs> windows yet. We'll talk about that later, but that's a whole conversation on its own. But um, either you're attempting to renovate a place to keep it in a good standard or good shape, um, or you're attempting to take something that's been allowed to go too far uh, to deteriorate, um, which is usually the case. So often that's sort of where we, we sort of lie is that that last hope, that last chance to historic places that are going to be demolished otherwise or, or lost just because of neglect uh, to the elements. Um, so bringing them back from, from that level is, is a costly activity. Um, but there are Intentionally, assistance programs out there to help with that kind of thing. Um, everyone always asks me about grants, and um, there are some some grant funds. Um, they're usually fairly minimal because, and especially in Kentucky, we've not had people leave their states or leave a lot of money for preservation. Um, something we were talking before we started recording. We really are getting ready to work on very much more of asking people that their own historic places and, and have been stewards to leave something in their state for the future, right? To leave, uh, leave us some funding to put into an endowment so that we can grant off money for, for places that, um, that are charitable places, nonprofits and otherwise maybe trying to save important parts of their, their communities, but for projects that aren't economically viable, <clears throat> right? Any other way. And you, you got to it just right there where, where I was going was that, um, to help with projects that are maybe skewed to the more costly side of things that aren't so economically viable, there are federal and state historic preservation tax credits. And, and what those are, um, our, our federal program was started many years ago, the Kentucky program um, just more recently, um, but those are tax credits that are fundable in Kentucky even uh, to allow you and assist you to renovate a project. So let's let's walk through them pretty quickly, just the, the basic introduction of them. A federal tax credit is a, um, a, a tax credit, of course, against your your uh, your liability, your tax liability. It's intended for income producing properties only um, that are either listed on the National Register of Historic Places or determined eligible or meet a, another criteria that's less commonly used. Um, but that is a credit that is a 20 to 30% credit of the cost, your total renovation cost. Um, typically it's a 20% credit. You have to use 
you have to meet the adjusted basis of the property um, that you're investing in. So say you bought a hundred thousand dollar property, the land is valued at fifty and the house is valued at fifty. You have to put another fifty into it at minimum to be eligible for that credit. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to use, to be honest, and there's some attempts right now in Congress to make it easier, um, to make it more accessible, because it is one of the best job producing programs in the nation. Um, for every dollar put in, I think the figure is something that we get $4 in return. Um, it's, it's really incredible. Not a bad investment return. Produces a lot of great jobs and high skilled jobs. You know, right now during this, this pandemic we've been going through, everybody the, has been working on their homes and the highest demand field uh, of anything is construction and laborers and, and specialty construction. You know, those people that can do carpentry and masonry and, and window restoration and all that kind of thing. So, um, the state credit was created uh, about 15 years ago, I think um, it was. I can't remember the exact date, um, 2004, but was meant to add on to that federal credit and give homeowners something as well. So if you have a property that's listed on the National Register of Historic Places individually, or if you're in a National Register Historic District, which is not a local historic district where you get regulations, um, National Register is usually local to local historic districts. Um, or if you've been determined eligible um, for that, you, you are eligible for tax credit in Kentucky. Kentucky's tax credits are a 20 and 30% credit 30% if you're an owner-occupied property, 20% if you're an income-producing property or otherwise. Um, and you can pair the 20% with the 20% federal credit to get 40% back <clears throat> as a, um, a credit for your project. In Kentucky, that's a little different. It's, uh, like I said, it's able to be used by homeowners um, to do simple repairs, really. The only real precursor there's some other details, but it's that you have to spend a minimum of $20,000 over a 24-month period, um, which can be a kitchen renovation and a roof. That's or a, a roof by itself can be 20, 20 grand. HVAC upgrade. Mm -hmm. Things that are physically part of the building and the functioning of the building are eligible for, for that tax credit. So things that go back to sustainability for the for the building. Right. You have to have HVAC, you have to have a roof, right. and all that. Perpetual preservation of, of the property. New additions landscaping, exterior renovations aren't eligible, um, but things like renovating your kitchen are, painting, um, your HVAC, your roof, all those kinds of things. So it's, it's a, a great, um, very underutilized program. It's very underfunded. Uh, we've only had $5 million for many, many years through the entire state, and we use every bit of it. Um, but the legislature put a, a lot of money into it last year, um, intending it to go to one special project I believe mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say my opinion there, um, but that project's not going to be able to use all of it. So it's the year to apply for those those tax credits and applications will be now up through April of 2022 for, for people to apply for those programs. Does it make a difference if you apply earlier versus is it first come first served on that? It's not. No, it's uh, usually an appropriated thing that everyone goes into a pool. And at a certain cutoff date, everyone's evaluated for um, what the total request is, and then everyone's given an apportionment of, of how much money is available. Um, and like I said, we're usually limited. We have $10 million in request for more, and only $5 million available, but next year, $150 million. So it's going 
application great thing. It's, oh, well, that's that's absolutely the, significant. The time to apply for sure. What I'm hearing is if you've been thinking about redoing your home and it fits in one of the above criteria, if you can find someone to do that work, which that's the hard thing right now, like Eric alluded to, get it done. And then reach out to here to us at the Kentucky yeah. Trust and we can walk you through the process for getting those tax credits. And you can do, um, you know, you can, there, there are ways to include some of the work that you can do yourself even. Um, but it is a, a, a fantastic program. There's, um, you know, it's administered by the Kentucky Heritage Council, um, which is the uh, State Historical Preservation Office, a federally mandated thing for, for every state to have one of those. Um, so it's, a, a, like I said, a great program, underutilized and, um, and meant for, and and uh, there may be those that say, well, I don't have that much tax liability. You know, I only make so much money. The great thing about the Kentucky program is that it's refundable, so that you can get a credit if you're doing a hundred thousand dollar project, and you get a twenty thousand dollar credit, right? Um, you have twenty five hundred dollars in taxes, or thirty thousand dollar project. You get the difference back. Right. Right. You have uh, little to no tax liability once you file your taxes. The state of Kentucky will write you. Balance, which helped a lot of homeowners make renovations um, and uh, get a loan from the bank up front, knowing that they're going to get a kickback um, at the end of the project to be able to pay that loan down. So if you wanted to, are you able to, I've heard of some places selling tax credits. Is that more just for nonprofits that are doing that? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is uh, one of the components of the state credit is that it's transferable. Um, actually, that that provision sunsetted last year, and uh, there's attempts right now to get that fixed so that, that can continue. Um, but if you don't have a tax liability, say you're a, a church, a school, uh, a nonprofit like us, um, you can apply for this credit still traditionally and be able to get an enforcement or an award, um, and then you can work with a, uh, a local bank or something, or even someone privately, really, ideally, ideally they can buy those credits for so much of a dollar that might have that tax liability. Um, they can then give you cash for your tax credit, um, and and they can use the you know the tax liability to offset their, their liability. Well, that makes sense. That's a great thing that you know if we have a, anyone from a local historical society that has a building that needs work, that could be an opportunity. Uh, and that's really cool. I, honestly, these are the things that I've heard quite a bit about, but I don't know much about. Eric is an expert in this, and so I always enjoy talking to you about it because I always learn something. So when you're talking about, uh, you know, so let's go ahead and talk about projects because I know we have some really interesting ones going on. I mentioned the one in Athens earlier. That's our biggest yeah. project out there right now. Do you want to give the background on that? Yeah, we've we've always got a couple of things in the works and or more than a couple of things. I am. Um, at any given time of probably consulting or talking with uh, potential projects, uh, you know, a dozen or, or 20 uh, or more. Um, but we, we try to pick and choose some things that, that come along um, that are significant, that, that let us really dive into uh, some Kentucky history, right? So um, we mentioned the, uh, the vault project at the Franklin Cemetery that's right by Daniel Boone that I, I'm really uh, excited that was going to be a fantastic uh, before and after, and we have to thank the um, the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution, um, the state 
local chapters that supported us and the uh, the national chapter who has graciously donated a, a grant to us to help complete that project. Um, but one of our biggest projects we've been we've been working on right now and fundraising um, for is uh, a, a cabin and I, I don't like to call them cabins you know everyone sort of log cabin and, and that's not really the truth of the matter. Um, I like to call them log frame structures. Okay. Uh, the log buildings that are left in Kentucky were never meant to be exposed. Um, they were always collaborated over and truly the logs square in any way were the frame of the buildings. So we have one that is constructed entirely of cedar logs in, in Lexington and Fayette County in a little hamlet called Athens or Athens as they call it locally. Um, that was given to us actually by a family a couple of years ago. And we've been working to develop funds to, um, to renovate to a certain standard and then probably look for a, a new school property. But at the time being, we're um, undertaking some of the renovations and um, exploring the history of the place, which is still a bit yet undefined. Um, Kind of develop this project more fully. It's uh, one of three buildings, uh, one of five buildings that's listed on the National Register, one of the smallest historic districts in Kentucky, and uh, three of them are connected in a row that were uh, we know a row of taverns. Um, tavern at the end was built in 1790, and local lore and the research I found to date suggests that this cabin was built in the 1780, making it one of the oldest things in Kentucky and in Fayette County. And um, within the time period, Daniel Boone and his brother were settled on the creek just over the hill from behind his house. So, very, very cool project, and it's it's still developing. I've been there actually working physically. If you if you donate to the trust, it's not just uh, administrative. Um, you know, I was there doing some selective demolition for three days last week, and I'll be there tomorrow. Um, but a, a very cool project that uh, is. Like I said, almost undiscovered yet. Um, the deeds are calling it the ancient cedar cabin in the 1830s. Um, and the town was formally um, incorporated in 1823. And this was the first lot, and it was the largest lot because this house was already there. Um, so it's, it's a really engaging piece, and I'm excited to let people see it. We're going to be. Um, working over the rest of this year and through the spring next year uh, on the project and taking some videos and some educational things that I'm excited to let people see um, doing different elements of the project, whether it's the archaeology, window restoration, dry stone, chimney uh, replacements, um, kind of delving into the structure, making log repairs, and some of that kind of thing that are going to be exciting to for people to see and kind of witness. So it's uh, very much a teaching tool for us to fulfill our educational <clears throat> components of our mission as well as um, uh, physical preservation activity. I think it is absolutely cool, and I appreciate that explanation because it's a great explanation. Uh, and you're absolutely right. I've been to the uh, cabinet a few times, and there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, because that's part of it. When you get in and you start digging around in these places, you realize, <laughs> hey, this is a project. And so it's kind of cool, though, because you've gone all through the place, and it's amazing. I mean, when you look at the uh, at the logs that Eric was mentioning, 
you can see where they were hand-hewn using an ads. And for me, Eric has mentioned, you know, the connection to history and to those who came before us earlier. And that's what really gets me to know that, okay, this blog was, it was squared up by someone just using hand tools. And I just think that's so cool. I, I'm not going to lie. That's one of those times where I'd really nerd out and think, okay. Or you're looking at uh, an old house and you can find brick and you can find fingerprints in the brick where they were handmade. Because a lot of times, you know, 200 years ago, you didn't buy bricks from a brick brickyard. Bricks were fired on site if they had uh, clay reserves. And so stuff like that, it's so neat. So what are some of the other projects that we're working on? Um, you know, we're always trying to assist some uh, property owners in in helping them find new storage for their places. So we're, we're talking with a number of properties that I can't really divulge right now um, to, to help them find new owners. Um, we've finished a couple of things recently. We were able to transfer um, properties uh, been a couple of years ago that one of my favorites uh, was in old Washington mm -hmm. in Maysville, um, Mason County, Kentucky, that says uh, uh, 1801 brick federal Georgian sort of transition house. It's incredible. It sit on its original acreage in the middle of hundreds and hundreds of acres uh, right off the, the main town, old Washington, which is uh, Famous for being the place that Harriet Beecher Stowe stayed and witnessed what became Uncle her Tom's book, Cabin. Uncle Tom's Cabin, and uh, very, very cool little community that's left there and a lot of active preservation work. But we were just with that property. Um, one of our more recent was a uh, a lot of people in the preservation field know the Pope Villa in Lexington with John Pope, who was the first governor of Arkansas, and um, residential hopeful and, and all these kinds of things and lived and, and was really a patron of all of the noted American architects early in our, our development period. Well, he came back to Kentucky, married, all of his family passed away and he was the last one to survive. And he built sort of a retirement home in Springfield, Kentucky, um, that we were able to assist the, the owners in transferring it and finding a new owner with that one. It's been fully renovated um, by, by a gentleman that, to renovate and sell properties and he just sold that to uh, some new owners so um, a very cool 1820 so so i actually house. went by there not too long ago uh and same thing i've been through that house as well and, and it was remarkable because when you drove by it looked like a craftsman house like from the 1940s when it's had a lot of changes yeah. it has but now when i drove by i actually had to stop and do a double take i didn't recognize it it's actually being rented out as a uh i think in a bed and breakfast or Airbnb or something along those lines. So it's cool. A great example of that adaptive reuse that we were talking about earlier, that you can take these places and you can put some money into them and you can really have a good investment. So let's talk to, if someone wants to, uh, let me rephrase that. What is a good opportunity for someone who wants to protect, uh, protect their home? If someone's saying, hey, you know what? I have a house, but I don't know if it's the kind of place that you all will be interested in talking about, but I do want to protect it. What, what's a good opportunity for for you and for the trust? Yeah, you know, it's a uh, simplest answer is just to reach out. Um, we are a one-man operation currently for the entire state of Kentucky. Um, so I, I try to spread myself evenly among everyone, right? But, um, you know, reach out to us. 
and and let's talk about some options with your, your property. Um, you know, not everything is uh, has to be museum caliber quality or even that significant. Um, if you have a place that you feel is is important, then other people probably do as well, and and we're willing to talk. And that doesn't have to be just a house; it could be a commercial building on Main Street or a uh, a church or uh, even a cemetery. Sort of exploring how we can better take care of cemeteries because that's sort of a new field and, and it's not been a lot of proven easements and things on those just yet. Um, but there there are options out there, whether it's what we've just explored or or even a lot of other minutia that um, that we can explore and see what might work for you. But, you know, we're always looking to protect places. That's what we're here to do. Um, Thing for people is to do an easement, donate us an easement, um, but we're also available just for advice a lot of times, and, and we do try to help uh, sell properties. You know, to physically take on a, an option is usually what we use to purchase an option and try to resell a property, or, um, or we have a, a fairly extensive network that we work with of, of both members and contacts across the state. Uh, I've honed over the years that I'm able to usually connect people. And that's really our organization. I, I sort of feel that our, our biggest contribution and our, our best role beyond just holding things in covenant or easement in perpetuity is to connect people. We have a lot of folks interested in preservation all across the state. We have little pockets or silos of, of preservation entities Um that are familiar, very familiar with their own town. And I, I serve on a couple of those as well here in Frankfurt and beyond. Um, but you step outside of your community and, and the connections aren't there. Um, usually the only people that have those are realtors, but we are able to specifically hone in on, on a lot of places and, um, and help make those connections and, and make projects work and, and find new viewers. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that most of the properties we have sold in our, almost our entire term have been to folks from out of state. Kentucky has so much that the people here don't realize the value. And we don't, we don't value Kentucky like we should. We, we accept the work of previous generations that have actively tried to preserve places like Shaker Village, for instance, right? We all sort of, that's the epitome of, of preservation. But at one point in time, you know, Shaker Village was being bulldozed and, um, the, the main meeting house was a, uh, a car dealership and garage repair shop. Um, so it's a mindset change very often. And, and that's one of the things we're actively working on to, to try to make people realize the value of what we have. Because those people that come from out of state, one of the last ones we sold was from to uh, rocket scientists out of Alabama, right? Um, <clears throat> that come in and realize, my gosh, Kentucky has some incredible architecture, some incredible history, and we still have a lot of it on the landscape. We've lost a lot, but we still have a lot of places that actively need saved, um, like our little cabin that's been sitting there languishing for, for 30, 40 years, almost untouched, um, almost pristinely original, down to panels of glass, probably original. So um, reach out to us. We're always looking for volunteers, uh, for people to help actively need members to sustain us, uh, we're actively engaging to um, 
create some new events and programming, educational things to sustain us as well and, and produce more of a presence. And um, really trying to focus in on the areas of need for education um, to help people understand the importance of places and the importance of preserving places and, and the value it adds to our communities. So. If someone wants to become a member, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, uh, we go to our website. Um, we're in process of upgrading the website and changing the domain uh, that will have the link out before too long. But uh, right now it's www.thekentuckytrust.org, all spelled out, including the word the, which is a domain that was available apparently 15 years ago. Um, so you can click on there, become a member. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, um, debating TikTok right now. Um, but we're, we're sort of out there all over the place and, and reach out to, you know, one of our board members or we have a, a good group um, that we're actively trying to find and recruit some members to. Um, or even reach out to one of your local preservation groups. We try to partner with all of them and be uh, assistant and, um, sort of the entity that helps create cohesion with all those groups. So. Someone wanted to support. Uh... Are you accepting donations? And I know that's that's a loaded question because you're a nonprofit, so the answer is probably yeah, obviously exactly. Yeah, we we rely entirely on our membership base um, and and private donations to exist. So, um, you know, whether that is a donation to help care for your easement um, that we're actively trying to to grow, or um, private donation, or, or a gift of uh, an annuity or uh, a stock cash donation. Um, we had a fantastic stock donation many years ago that has just realized some value that has has made some things possible for us that weren't previously. So, you know, um, future planning is important. In this one. And like I say, preservation is, is very much long-term and um, we, we think in decades, not, not annual as much. You want to tease the book or do you want to just leave that to be sure sure you know we're working on a lot of creative projects and um looking for financiers to help us create some of those but uh but you know a couple of years ago i, I sort of asked our board to shift our direction a little bit um, we were trying to focus on a little bit of education and a whole lot of of physical renovation and sales trying to put people and places together. And that had worked for us for many, many years. But what we're experiencing, there's a generational shift right now. And what I realized boots on the ground was that we really needed to be educating the next generation how to do these projects, how to put in the sweat equity, providing the financial expertise, um, the contractors, names, things like that to make these projects possible for people that want to take them on. So, so we're sort of trying to shift that and do a lot more educational work than what we used to. And part of that is possibly redefining exactly what's historic in Kentucky. You know, we've, we've really focused on the big, grandiose mansions, the museums, things like that over the years. But preservation is is not that. It is all-encompassing. It is the the small shotgun houses of, of Louisville. Um, the Are you saying that because I live in a small shotgun house in Louisville? Yes. Okay. It is the largest congregation of shotgun houses left in America after Katrina hit New Orleans. Um, Louisville has the largest congregation of uh, Victorian homes in, in America as well, right? It is the, uh, 
the little African-American hamlets that we're, we're actively trying to help here in Frankfurt to, to survey um, and, and realize the significance of those. It is, it is all of the built landscape, really, that holds some significance. Every place has a story to tell, right, that contributed to our development and, and what our communities grew to be. Um, and they're all worthy of preservation in, in some regard. Um, there are places occasionally that are too far gone to be economically viable to, to save that maybe weren't built very well in the first place very often. Um, but for the most part, you know, everything is worth some attempt. And um, we're really trying to focus on all those stories and encouraging people to take on those, those renovations, and preserve places that are they're significant. Um, you never, I have a whole series of lectures that I do, but um, one of the things I hone in on all the time is you never know what the next generation is going to need and what they're going to value, right? Um, we've learned that right now, I think, more than ever um, as we're shifting. There's, there's an entire national shift away from the metropolitan areas back to the farms and people. I have several friends during this pandemic bought a, literally bought a farm. Um, a friend all weekend on an 1820s farmhouse that is incredible and I've never seen anything like it still on the landscape and I can't believe it exists. But um but all these places have have something to tell us and have some role to play. Um years ago we had a a, a great example two great examples. We had a shift away from um our historic schools, the consolidated county schools. You have all these old schools on the landscape um, that were just essentially left to, to rot or turned into antique malls or something of that effect. Um, but now they're being highly valued to be turned into apartments where the people who went to school there now get to come back and live as elderly within a community of their peers. And it's really a fantastic adaptive reuse of these buildings um, that provides very much needed affordable housing. Um, and uh, provides that affordable housing and creates a community of support where, where these people get to, to come live. And we have one, one person that specifically in Kentucky that's really been leading the way with those. But the one that everybody is uh, cognizant of are the distilleries, right? 30 years ago, the distilleries were thrown away. They were selling land off just to stay alive. And now they're one of the most viable businesses. Old Taylor and Castle and Key. Yeah, in Kentucky. And uh, I was just at Castle and Key last night. If you've not been out there, you absolutely should go look at the multi-millions of dollars that have been plugged into that facility, bringing it back literally from collapse and ruin. One of the hottest spots in Kentucky right now and the absolute epitome of what preservation can do. You know, Really, our role is to educate people about doing no harm and preserving the original materials in place, but also there's a whole economic development argument to be, to be had that, um, that these places provide opportunity. They are natural economic assets in your community. They have a story. They have uh, a sense of place. They are usually pedestrian scaled, people scaled. That all of those things are what attract people back right now. And redeveloping them really returns multifold to your investments. So, um, yeah, so we're trying to make that happen. I think that sounds good. And, Eric, I'll go ahead and kind of wrap it up. First, I just have to say, I'm really glad that you were able to come on. 
I should have asked you to do this months ago. I'll, I'll give you credit for that. This has been a great interview, and I appreciate that. Uh, before, before I sign off, uh, is there anything that you want to tell anybody? I know you, you said a lot, but is there anything else that you missed? Just, uh, you know, explore what we're doing. Take the time to visit our website. Hopefully we'll have a new one up within about a month and, uh, and learn more, you know. And if you have an interest in, in what's historic in your community, uh, get engaged. You know, this only survives and these places only survive um, through the active actions or engagement of, of the people that live in the communities. There's no way that a state organization like us can do it all. Um, we can only do a small piece and it, we have to rely on those people, boots on the ground that feed us projects, that feed us tips, um, that sustain us with donations and and help serve on volunteer roles like on our board and our advisory board. Um, so if you have an interest in the field whatsoever and, and in what we're doing, I just ask everyone to get involved, be engaged, attend one of our next workshops um, and try to teach, teach the next generation of you. Eric, that was fantastic. Again, this has been Eric Wisman with the Kentucky Trust for Historic Preservation. I'm Jeb Darrell with Two Glasses of Bourbon. And thanks for listening. Join us on the next episode.